welcome to Dutch Wine Apprentice, the podcast. The following podcast is an integral recording of our talk show, Seller Talks. This show was broadcasted through Instagram Live on our Instagram page. For this reason, there might be references of images shown in the show and the audio quality is affected. The full video recording of this show can be watched through our Instagram page in the IGTV section. This edition of Seller Talks Season 1 Episode 5 was broadcasted on Friday the 22nd of January 2021. In this episode we welcome Jean Bellandraat from Bellandraat Wines. Bellandraat has developed itself to one of the best Verdejo producers in Spain and a leader in the Rueda region over its short existence. Their wines are recognized and celebrated by the famous and served in the best Michelin restaurants of the world. In the show we talked about the Bellandraat winery, their great wines, the Rueda region and Jean's career in wine. Hello everybody, uh, welcome to the fifth episode of Cellar Talks. Uh, today we have uh, Jean Bellandraat as guest from Bellandraat. Uh, wines in Spain and Rueda. So um, stay tuned for a minute or two and then I will invite uh, Jean. If we can get the connection started. Jean. Hey Nils, how are you? Good evening, I'm done. doing well. What about you? Good, uh, good, good. Uh, here in, uh, in Valladolid the weather is not that cold anymore. I don't know if you heard about that but we had like this huge snowstorm uh, hitting Spain uh, like a week and a half ago. So. I heard it. Recovering from that, <laughs> I saw I saw it as well because you uh, you post nice pictures of snow in the vineyard. It looks nice. Yeah. it's not good obviously, but it looks nice. No, actually, I think most of the people uh, just got it wrong because it's. Uh, I mean, in Spain, we usually say that it's actually the best uh, water source you can get because uh, you know it's just um, um, how can you say that uh, melts very slowly. Yeah. So the soil doesn't just you know like. Uh, uh, simply, uh, you know, how do you say that? Um, you know, the, the water just uh, goes slowly into the soils and, uh, and it's, uh, it's actually good. Uh, sort of isolation maybe on the soil? Uh, there is still actually, uh, that's another part which uh, says that when you get very, very cold temperature, uh, which is actually what happened uh, in the next uh, few days, uh, because I think the maximum uh, last week was probably Two, two degrees Celsius positive, mm-hmm. uh, and the minimum was uh, something like minus eight or nine. So that's okay. what they say, you know, the snow just uh, becomes ice and uh, the, the soil actually keeps a warmer temperature than, than the outside. So the, the vines are actually protected. So it's yeah, uh, all, yeah. all benefit. <laughs> so it's good, it's good in the end. Okay, um, thank you for being on the show. Um, thank you for having me. Well, I don't know where to start because there's a lot to talk about for the winery, for the family, for every uh, everything. And I also see people even speaking Spanish in the chat. I know that there were some people that speak Spanish or are Spanish. So uh, maybe you will see some questions popping up in Spanish. I even got yeah. one to do in, uh, in Spanish so I can try. And if it doesn't work, I will. <laughs> I know who sent it, so I will ask her to do it. I think but, that among the, between the two of us, uh, we will have it, you know, all good Spanish, English. We can cover some French and some Dutch as well. So oh yeah, French. Obviously, you're raised in French as well, huh? I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I should. 
So that's that's good. So uh, let's start with a quick introduction for your from yourself from your side. So what is your background? And then obviously later we will talk about the winery and the family. But a little bit about Jean first. So I think that uh, you know it's complicated to talk about background without talking about um, family. I actually moved to Spain because I was born in Bordeaux, um, and I actually moved to Spain when I was twelve. Uh, so that was back in two thousand and one. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the winery really, the project started in 1984, so I was kind of young, but I can recall almost all the, you know, the, the details, all the steps. Uh, it's a big change in your, in your life, eh? you're moving to another yeah. country, a winery. I think, you know, I always say that's probably the best decision I've ever take because, uh, taken, because uh, I think, you know, when you, when you move uh, with such a young age, again, you know, you're um, capable to uh, totally... I don't know, like um, totally, how do you say, you know, make this immersion in the culture, uh, yep. not only language, but uh, some, some habits, you know, some, uh, so it's, um, I, I wouldn't say, you know, it, it was easy, but uh, I think that, uh, yeah, as I said, it's probably one of the best stuff I've, I've done. Yeah. And then, and then you, uh, you did your schooling, obviously parts partially in France and then in Spain, but you also went back yeah. to Spain, uh, to France later to study. Yeah, that was later on because um, so when I finished, so when I told you that everything is kind of related to the to the family, uh, when I moved to Spain with 12, uh, 12 years old, I really you know discovered uh, what was uh, the, the the project. Uh, as I told you, now I, I grew up with uh, with Belmont and within Belmont, and um, I think I just you know enjoyed looking at my my father, uh, you know, suffering from one side. Um, but uh, you know, enjoying as well uh, what was Just following his passion. So, That's what you what you sense, yeah. uh, what you felt, maybe. I, I would say that it's not very respectful towards uh, probably you know, uh, I don't know, like uh, a policeman or a, a nurse or or a doctor. But I think there is some part of vocation as well in this in this work mm -hmm. in this sector. That uh, at the end, if you don't really enjoy it, uh, it can probably become uh, something you know. Heavy and uh, and and that's Burden, how uh, I perceive life. You know, I, I think that really it's it's too short to uh, at the end, you know, do things that you don't enjoy and to drink bad wine as well. Yep. That's what we say. So um, then I moved to Spain and I, you know, I really decided that I wanted to uh, simply, you know, uh, work with the family at some point, uh, very very young, very early. And uh, then that's you know that's funny because uh, most of the the people in my case would probably uh, have decided, you know, to. Uh, to make something related to um, analogy right away. Uh, but I think it's something I'd really, you know, uh, owe to my, my grandfather. He used to say that uh, uh, making wine is very easy, but uh, selling it, it's probably much more complicated. <laughs> and I don't know why, but most of the people probably think that, uh, you know, running a winery is kind of easy. You just need, you know, to make a good wine and then, you know, everything will uh, work out. But that's totally... Uh, There's a lot of wine totally in the world that wants to be sold. Exactly, exactly. So, so I think that's, you know, uh, for me, that sentence was, you know, kind of um, a revelation, I have to say, from one side. And um, so I decided to uh, firstly, you know, um, try to um, to focus on the, the management part. So I decided to do what we call in France uh, an école de commerce. So let's say much more commercial, you know, uh, formation. Uh, mm -hmm. Then I started. So in Barcelona, the first year, I moved to Canada. I spent one year in, in Montreal. Great experience. I could, you know, recommend that to a uh, Almost anybody, you know, mm -hmm. anybody in its twenties, it's probably you know, <laughs> great decision. Then I came back to uh, to Toulouse to finish uh, all these uh, these parts and moved to Bordeaux. Uh, in Bordeaux, I did probably my 
first vintage, my first harvest um, abroad out of the winery. Uh, I spent uh, then, you know, a year and... With which winery was that, that you worked at? Uh, I, was, I was working with the, with the family in the, in the Medoc, in a, a winery that doesn't exist anymore. Um, okay, in the Medoc. And disappeared. Yeah, um, but it's in the Medoc. Yeah. Yes, in the Medoc. Yeah, close to, to Castelnau. Um, and uh, then I, I, you know, I, I spent the rest of the time in Bordeaux studying uh, what we call the, the Duad. Uh, so Duad, it's a program which were designed probably in the 70s, something like that, but by the mm -hmm. Université de Nogier. Uh, and it's focused not only on tasting, uh, which definitely is a very, very important part of, of you yeah. know, our, our job, I would say, uh, but uh, also, you know, winemaking, viticulture, and uh, it was a very, very interesting introduction. And uh, then I decided to, uh, to come back to, uh, to the winery. And that's uh, when my father told me that, you know, I, you know, that's the way I tell it. I know if the, this the is your future, this is your future. This is what you, yeah. Uh, no, not at all. Actually, my father told me that uh, nobody was expecting me. So if I wanted to do okay. something useful, I should just, you know, take my luggage and uh, start traveling a little bit. Uh, oh, that's a good, uh, that's a good, uh, uh, yeah. So getting to know the, you know, the, the trade, uh, the, the markets. And um, so, so that's what I did. I spent a few few years before taking on to the, the commercial part. Uh, I have to say, you know, as well, uh, being totally honest with you, that uh, it was not very, very complicated. You know, I, I really felt attracted to the, the project because I really thought that I could bring uh, something extra. Yep. Uh, but, you know, being totally sincere as well, uh, it was a project which was already working. And that's probably what my father meant to say, that uh, the, the wines uh, were already, uh, had already a good presence on the market. And uh, yep. um, so that said, I, I decided, you know, to, to jump, uh, to, to jump on, uh, to hop on, as we would say, yep. I, like a train, right? Um, and then I, uh, I, I've been, I think, really uh, related to the winery in a very close way since then. Uh, I did uh, managed to, to escape uh, a few times uh, to, to Chile to do harvest in 13 uh, in the Valle del Maipo and mm -hmm. uh, then in 14 uh, in, the, in the Mosul. Um, it's not my personal uh, opinion, but I think, you know, it's always like that. I could have, I would have probably, you know, enjoyed another, you know, harvest abroad. So I don't know. Yeah, I can imagine the terroirs are different. The way of winemaking is different. Uh, the the product the grapes is different. Everything is. Yeah. You can learn so much from doing that. And I hear the same thing from German young winemakers that a lot of them now go to France, for example, which was not really the case twenty years or longer ago. But oh. now it's really a way of developing your skills as a winemaker. I, I will say, you know, that's something I I make, you know, just you know because I. I enjoy you know making jokes and stuff like that <laughs> very often mm -hmm. about these experiences abroad I, I say that i've learned uh, a lot of good things but i've learned as well how not to do certain things yeah uh, that will not apply logically to all the experiences but uh, i think it's just interesting not only to to see how, how you said you know uh, different terroirs so different soils different climates different grapes um but as well you know different way to uh, understand this terroir and how to interpret it and uh, what I mean to say is that very often you get to discover the people who are behind and uh, and you get to understand way better the wines because you know you know the people which uh, you know seems yep. very simple and very logical but uh, that's you know the, the, the way I, I perceive it yeah good so um, and then uh, you started working in the winery so we'll now 
jump into okay no, now now it's your work so of course now we will talk want to talk so about the don't say that too loud Niels, because uh, last year i managed to do like an executive mba so <laughs> oh you like, still you still escape know, every now some, and then some, some jokes but uh, i i i think you know that was something you know extra that could be yeah. brought as well to to the winery uh, i agree more. that's yeah. So, so it's very important experience it's only a very important not to only look at the art of the wine making but the business like you said is a very important part otherwise i mean you can have the best wine in the world nobody exactly. knows it and they don't want to pay the price for it and it's and, and another thing I, I you know i really um simply you know believe in uh Nils, is that uh, probably if you if you're a winemaker yourself you probably do um you know super genuine wines and take the decisions, you know, saying, I don't know, so I want uh, the wines this year to be like this or like that. Um, but my way to perceive it is that at the end, I, you know, I probably become a good winemaker, uh, yep. but uh, winemaker probably um, saying, you know, a studying analogy and so on. Uh, but I think that right now I'm in a point in which I could perfectly hire someone who will be better than me to take technical decisions yeah. and simply stay behind to uh, understand, you know, the, the, the concept and the project as, yeah. as a whole and uh, taking the same, the same decisions. Because at the end, you know, I, I think I've spent almost uh, 10 years uh, uh, involved in the, in, the, in the assemblage, in the decisions regarding, you know, a ripening and harvest and so on. So, so I think that uh, it's probably, uh, it makes more sense for me to bring a positive, something positive in the decisions but to leave it in probably in the hands of someone who is much more qualified than myself. I can totally understand because let's face it, you're a young guy still and uh, every winemaker gets only one shot every year. You exactly. have one vintage. So if you want to have 30 uh, vintages of experience, you need 30 years of experience. <laughs> yeah, so why don't you hire experience. a guy who's in the 50s or 60s and that he has this 30 years of experience? Mm -hmm. And well, in the end, you learn every year side by side and... Okay, that's. I think it's a, a sane way of, of looking at. Okay, what is my strength at the moment? What do I want to grow into? So there is a passing going into there, maybe or not. But um, I mean, uh, there is no shame in admitting that there's people that can do uh, what you are doing just as good or maybe better. I mean, that's. Uh, I think a good choice, uh, to be honest. So um, let's show the audience a map. I mean. Uh, a lot of people know uh, maybe where you are located. Some other people might not know. It's always a bit difficult with these pictures because uh, they're not always the format and the size that I that yeah. I need. But I, I found one. This one shows up pretty well. So here we see Spain and we see the uh, the small red circle, which is the Rueda. So when I did my research, I was questioning myself a little bit. How much Rueda are you? Because you are in the Rueda, but you are also quite <laughs> up north. So this, Tricky to question, be honest, yeah? Spain puzzles me sometimes when I talk about comparing with Germany. It's very structured with the uh, terroirs, but also with the vineyards, with the regions. So in Spain, it's a little bit uh, fairer less, uh, maybe uh, I should say. So, okay, it's not always structured and strict. But yeah. Rueda is the region and the red circle is where you guys are located, right? Yes, I got exactly. correct. So if you allow me here, Niels, to, uh, to not be yeah. uh, totally uh, politically correct, and um, because we're probably going to mention something political, uh, if you look at the, the map of, uh, of Spain and if you compare it to, uh, I don't know, Italy or France or Germany, as you said, um, here, uh, let's say that the, the shape uh, or the delimitation of the, the appellations doesn't truly really respond to, um, uh, let's say, soils, for example, 
yeah. or microclimates or whatever. It's yeah, it's just to be uh, to be uh, to tell the truth. It's a very political uh, way yeah. to just you know cut. Uh, you know, it's it's a sad comparison, but if you look at a map, for example, of, of Africa, how Africa was you know like uh, given shape, it's something similar yeah. at the end. You know, they decided you know to put some villages in, some villages out. And if you take a radar, as we say, you know, right here, we see it right this here. This is the Rueda zoom in, basically, huh? Yeah. So we have the, from north to south, we have, uh, I don't know, I don't have the exact number, but probably uh, around 120 kilometers, roughly, mm -hmm. I would say. Uh, and from side to side, east to west, uh, probably a little bit less. Uh, but yeah. my point is that within radar, you have differences of, of terroir. Um, so the northern part, I don't know if people can realize that uh, we can see the, the river, right, the Duero, yeah. which is uh, actually where we are located. Uh, that will be a very alluvial soil. So here, uh, I mean, in these parts, we have uh, much more presence of clay, pebbles, yeah. logically, because of the presence of the river, uh, some limestone and some sand, because the sand is always you know, much more present as well uh, in, these, uh, in these parts of the... Uh, well, if you go to the south, uh, closer to Segovia, where Nieva is, uh, you have much more slates. Uh, the altitude is slightly higher as well because we're located at 750, and uh, Nieva is uh, somewhere around, um, I don't know, I would say 800 something, mm -hmm. if I'm not wrong. Uh, so the climate is not the same. Uh, there it's much more drier. So my point is that when you look at Bordeaux, for example, and even within Bordeaux, you have, I don't know, probably around 60 different subappellations. Yep. Why is that we have within such a large area just one single appellation? So, so yep. I think it's, um, it's something that wasn't done well, and not only in Reda, but like in the, in the, whole, the whole country. In uh, Italy, it's also a mess. So <laughs> if you look yeah, at the, the way in Italy, how it's in the good way, In the yeah. good way, because at the end, you really have these differences, which you can explain uh, then yeah. uh, and I, I can say that you know I don't uh, I, I have you know my difficulties to understand Italy I think it's a very complex country but I think the differences can be explained and here uh, that's you know what, I, what I'm explaining you, you have some question that you know uh, makes you wonder why why Reda or why I know, um, yeah. La Mancha or why so yeah so okay we see this and you see the for the people that it's not it's difficult to see because it's small on the screen like this and we are only showing half of it and then my face is in it as well so that doesn't really help to be honest but okay the green uh dots you see is more the centration uh the concentration of the wineries or mm -hmm. let's say the villages where there is a lot of wineries so for the audience you see when you're under the river in the central part uh, just under there is a big concentration where you guys are located and you see the yes. same in the right corner i would say more southern uh southeastern corner uh also there is a this this late uh, stone area which you're mentioning on the right yes, uh, exactly yeah. exactly that will be uh, the, the, the area of nieva and i don't know if yeah probably like the names are so so yeah that's that, uh, impossible i cannot read it but, but, uh, so, uh, so uh, as you said we're located on the northern part uh, in the village of la seca which is meant to be uh, the the birthplace of Overdecon. Yeah. So um, in between, I, I will just mention this to the audience because uh, other shows I did it at the beginning and people are not already logged in there. So if you have any questions, you can put them in the question box, which is in the bottom. So this is where you can put the questions and we uh, try to answer them at the end of the show. So um, having that said, uh, because if we put them in the chat, we don't have time to read them as we're having a nice conversation here together and we will have to taste some wine as well so there will be no time to watch the the chat go by but you talked about pebbles and yeah. 
that you sent me this. So is exactly. it typical, typical for one of or some of the vineyards that you have? Because we talk about the vineyards that you have. There's a lot of different ones, and there are there are really small ones. There's bigger ones, but it's very diverse. Yeah, and I think that's actually, you know, like the, the key, I would say, behind the, the you know, Belongat's philosophy. Uh, actually, when we're mentioning pebbles, it's probably one of the, the things that, that really brought my, my parents here. And my father will say, always says, you know, that he was totally impressed when he saw for the first time the, the, these pebbles because it reminded, you know, at some point to the, the Rhone, right? Uh, ah, and they had, they're even bigger, huh? but they're also this, this yeah, exactly. round, round stones, basically. Yeah, it's 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 pebbles. So it's uh, more or less, you know, the same concept, taking into account that there is a, an important river uh, close by, and you know, it's they were supposed to be brought by the the defrost, so millions of of years ago, and uh, it's it's actually kind of surprising. Uh, but uh, I I remember a few years ago we had some uh, some friends coming over for uh, from from France, and they they're not related to wine, but. Uh, uh, the guys actually asked the question, you know, did you guys brought the, the pebbles here or, uh, <laughs> you know, they're, they're already, uh, already there. And, and the thing is that what's fantastic about this region um, is that moving, I'm not on, only, you know, I'm not even going to mention taking the car. You can just walk probably 200, 300 meters and you yeah. get to see these differences in which from one side of the road, you get to see the color of the, um, of the soil is like very light, um, you know, like almost yellow. Uh, while on the other side you have like these pebbles and it's much more much more reddish um so it's crazy like the diversity we have in terms of of soils so um the the concept and the philosophy at the very beginning of of Belongran, um was first of all to make a, what we call a van chateau so van chateau um at the end you know really deciding that the wines uh, we will make will only come exclusively for from our own vines Mm-hmm. Um, and, and mostly I used to explain that um, a lot. It's not only a, a matter of, of quality because very often people ask, so is it because uh, you're not sure about what the viticulture is going to do? Not only. I think it's only, you know, it's as well or probably much more a matter of, um, uh, let's say, um, coherence. I don't know if you can say coherence in English, uh, mm-hmm. which what I want to, to say is that on the long term, you can see the evolution of the plot and you get yeah. to know the plot and you know that on a dry vintage, uh, probably the most you're going to get are going to be like this, like this, like this, right? And you know exactly how to, how to interpret this, this must, how to vinify, right? So that's the picture you were showing that was yeah. uh, probably last year or two years ago. Um, we really tried to do a, a huge, huge work on, and improvements on viticulture. So, uh, we had uh, Julian Palacios, who's the guy uh, with the red sleeves, mm-hmm. uh, who's probably one of the experts in, in Spain in terms of, um, 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 how do you say, pruning, responsible pruning. Yeah. Uh, so we're trying, you know, to, to form the whole team uh, to make sure that uh, when we're pruning, we're not only thinking about what's going to, uh, you know, become uh, with the vine this same year, but what is going to become of the vine uh, within uh, 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. Um, so it's really something important We're really looking us. ahead and how it will develop and evaluate throughout time. So we, we've seen that we have a lot of problems, you know, with uh, what we call wood disease. Uh, for mm-hmm. example, ESCA. ESCA is a huge problem and nobody really knows what to do about it. But we know definitely that uh, by improving and, uh, and being more respectful while pruning, it's, it's going to just, you know, bring... It's prolonging uh, yeah, also the lifetime and the quality of the of the vines in the end. Definitely, the... Yeah, that, that's what we look for. We look for that yeah. instead of living 30, 40 years 
uh, and at the end, you know, having this uh, decline or declination, you know, on an early stage, mm-hmm. uh, that that you can just, you know, uh, keep keep on, uh, you know, um, just work with with the same the same uh, vines during probably 60, 80 years. Then it's a matter yeah. that's something very different, but it's a matter of uh, when do you realize that the production is decreasing and when yeah. do you realize that uh, that quality is is not there. Uh, neither because usually we always explain that you have like it's like two two lines yep. uh, you have usually the, the quality of the must right and the age and there is a point in which they meet which is let's say that's uh, like the the adolescence or the youth uh, for us humans and then uh, it decreases so so it's really uh you know, you're smiling because, because you see the dogs huh yeah <laughs> so also, i also want to talk about the dogs later <laughs> they're kind of young huh, still that's good um okay um I, unfortunately for the audience uh, you you sent me a nice booklet with a map and i can do it like this but i mm-hmm. don't have a digital digital picture but what was one of the first things that i really liked about the story is how many and i already said it how many different plots you have and vineyards you have and they're really sometimes really small so the smallest one is 0.2 hectares i exactly. think exactly yeah, so uh, yeah and i mean the biggest will probably be four hectares i think it's yeah so that's not even that's not even really big but i mean there's a lot of different differences between those vineyards and plots exactly. also taking into account obviously what you were all just saying that you're uh, also looking into the future on how it will develop and how the vines will develop but exactly. it goes into the philosophy of your winemaking i think as well because you can tell us a little bit about how you guys would make the wine so how's the what's the process and how do you have all these <laughs> different vineyards working together to create a, a beautiful wine <laughs> so uh, something regarding the, the map you've just um, shown, yeah. there is uh, actually something that most of the people don't know. We're talking about 23 blocks, but within these 23 blocks, uh, we do, uh, let's say, another like separation. I don't know if you can say that. Yeah. Uh, but we have a block, for example, La Cañada, which when we um, take samples, uh, maturity controls, right, and vinification, uh, we separate it in four sub areas right yeah uh cantarranas more of the same uh we have the case uh of uh, for example la cruz which is separated in two subplots so okay. um we really try to be you know it's a matter of, of details right we really need to uh, to to be uh, that's what we what we search for precision and, and details so um as i said these differences we find within the plots we're not only talking about differences of, of soil composition but uh uh, very often, uh, the orography is different. Uh, let's say that uh, probably the planting pattern is different. Uh, the pruning uh, is different. So the, the, I don't yep. know how to say that. Sistema de conducción. Uh, so Guillot, uh, Cordon, um, etc. Um, so all these differences take into account that we only work with one single grape variety. Or that's what we enjoy saying yep. because we have a little percentage of other white varieties. Um, so some Grenache, some... Uh, Roussan, some Marsan, uh, some Yonier, but 95% of the estate is planted with, uh, with Verdejo. So uh, what we do is simply, uh, we, as I said, we, uh, we do this monitorization, plot per plot. Uh, we harvest everything manually, and then we keep, in order to keep these differences alive during the whole vinification. Uh, so we keep the plot separated, and uh, we, we ferment all the wine with, uh, with native yeast. So spontaneous fermentations, we don't inoculate, and uh, that's 
you know how at the end the wines are going to evolve so what you see right now in the picture is the yeah. uh, the cellar and uh, while we're looking at the cellar i think it's you know interesting because at the end you know i'm just going to make the link with what i was explaining uh, yeah. coming from the vineyard and entering the, the winery so when we receive the, the grapes at the winery everything is harvested in uh, 13 kilo crates right so we just empty yeah. the crates on a sorting table we have Six, pe six people working on a sorting table. Uh, this year, for the first time, we've tried with make an interesting investment, which is like a um, um, uh, mechanical um, um, sorting machine, mm -hmm. uh, which is very interesting because we have a mechanical sort sortment and then we have the manual. So this year, I think we just, you know, keep on improving on that matter. Um, then we're just gonna uh, destem, crush the grape, macerate, and after the maceration, we will taste the must, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, so from one side, we'll have what we call the fruit and juice, which is just the juice that comes, you know, from the uh, from crushing the grapes. And yep. from another side, we will have the, the press. So from one single plot, two different, two different juices, two different musts. We taste the musts and we decide, once again, I, I'm talking, you know, I'm using a lot of this word interpretation because it's yep. all about that. We decide how to conduct uh, this must. So it's kind of a, a bet you take. You say, so I personally... Uh, believe that this must have the capacity not only to ferment but to age as well uh, in barrels. So that's because this is important for you, uh, the aging in the barrels. We we didn't talk about it yet, but it, your wine is also about wood, and compared I, to I, other. I would say that you know at the end it's it's not something which is marking the the, the wine because that's something I always try to insist on as well. Um, it's not let's say a, a way to to make the wine. And what I want to say is that very often in Spain, you have this mention very big in the label stating uh, barrel fermented. So yeah. oh, it's, it means it's it's very expensive and very good, right? <laughs> For us, I so that's think- That's why you that, don't put it on there. No, not at all, because I think that's fermenting and using barrel at the end, it's it's an extra tool, you know? It's a, yeah. it's a way, it's a vector that you're just gonna use in order to get uh, to achieve what you're looking for. And in that case, for us, what we're looking for is this uh, micro oxygenation, oxygenation you're gonna get. Um, probably the, the tannin that uh, the, the barrel is gonna, is gonna leave. And then, you know, this capacity to work with very small uh, volumes, making batonnage, and uh, as you said, you know, aging the wines. But uh, to come back to what I was explaining at the beginning, it's not all the, not all the musts have the capacity to ferment in barrels. So there is okay. this first selection which is made and usually we decide, so for example, uh, to give you an idea and to really illustrate what I'm saying, when we have a must, which is uh, probably, you know, like very, uh, very fruity, crispy, um, acidic, but, you know, shy, we don't want to just, you know, overeat it with, uh, uh, with oak. So usually what we do in that case, it's search for a much more neutral vinification. So mm -hmm. vinification, fermentation, and probably aging in, uh, in tanks. Okay. Okay. And we have the other case, which is um, probably a must, which have uh, this um, these shoulders, you know, this depth, this complexity. And in that yep. case, we just, you know, give it a try, and we we send it. We choose the barrel. What I mean by choosing the barrel is that if if you have a picture of the of the cellar, you probably see that we have uh, during a normal vintage uh, from 300 to 400 different barrels. Mm -hmm. um, from different coopers, different sizes, uh, different forest of origins, different ages as well. Um, so it's really about, uh, once again, taking a risk and taking a bet. So for example, saying, for example, here, we don't really get to see it yet because as you see, we're um, filling the barrel, 
So uh, usually with choke, we just uh, yep. uh, put like a, a code, a number and two letters, which means the day of the harvest and the plot it comes from. Okay. And here you can see that the barrel is it Sylvain from yep. 2016. 16, right? yeah. Yeah. Um, so it means that in that case, uh, we probably had um, a must that was probably very, very elegant and delicate. And we didn't want it to use a barrel that was too new. Or yeah, the old, to, uh, you take the older barrel for that. Yeah. Uh, right? So, so you, you need a lot of different barrels in the way you make wine. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And it's about pairing, right? We start pairing very early uh, in order just you know, to find this, uh, this balance. Uh, it's, but it's very interesting. I mean, uh, it's probably not unique, but if I hear it, it's something, if I compare it to others, uh, they make it easier. Well, not easier. They have a very different way of winemaking. You're also making it complex for yourself, but it's what you want to achieve. You're, you're looking exactly. for something for what you know that you need to do it this way. There is no other way of doing it. Um, so I think this is a very interesting part of the story. Of Belandra, but another part is also, uh, and you also mentioned it a little bit. The style of winemaking comes from your father, who had an idea and moved to Spain, and he saw the, the soils and the terroirs. But he had a obviously a French background and a French style of winemaking. So when he came in Rueda, that was uh, very different than all the other winemakers had, or most of them had, I guess. So I I think that uh, there are. Uh two things to take into account to, to answer mm -hmm. uh, to your question. The first one is that uh, Spain uh, 30 years ago was a very different country. Yep. Uh, back then, uh, probably, so people have been making wine in Spain for ages, centuries yep. uh, or more, uh, since the Roman times, uh, probably, or, or Phoenicians. Um, so um, the thing is that probably the, there wasn't the professionalization or the industrialization yep. Uh, we already had uh, in France uh, back then. Um, so that was probably the first thing because uh, starting a project from scratch uh, means obviously a huge inversion. Yeah. And, uh, and once again, if you, if you have a special idea, you know, it means that you need probably to be the, the first one. Uh, but the reason why uh, we really ended in, uh, in Rueda is because, um, so I have two sisters, uh, Apolline, mm -hmm. who's the oldest, and Clarice, uh, Clarice who's the, the youngest. And uh, my parents had another kid uh, who was named Diego. So he was my older brother and he passed yep. away when he was very young. Um, so actually we're talking about 1988. Yep. So my parents started uh, searching for the place where San Diego was born. Uh, obviously we're talking about, uh, you know, back then, no, no Wikipedia, no, yep. no Google Maps, nothing. Uh, so they, they found, you know, uh, searching in encyclopedias, uh, dictionaries, maps. Um, they found this uh, village uh, called San Nicolas del Puerto, which is lost in the mountains uh, one hour away from Seville, northern mm -hmm. direction. Mm -hmm. um, so they just went there, uh, took the car and drove to uh, San Nicolas. They found a small, small estate, decided to, uh, to buy it. Um, so it's been almost, yeah, 30, 30 years. Now we have uh, pigs and horses, so... Uh, and that's actually there when they discovered and they tasted uh, Verdejo for the first time. Uh, and okay. what probably struck them, because people don't have this image of Verdejo, and I think it's a huge pity. Um, last week, for example, uh, when you guys were talking about Riesling, I think that, yeah. you know, when you talk about Riesling or you talk about Chardonnay, um, we're talking about two varieties that have uh, probably the, great, the greatest image uh, yeah. when talking about uh, white varieties. You know, you say that and it's almost, you know, there is like a capital letter at the beginning and people say, well, this is serious. 
And yeah. what happened with Verdejo? It's not the case, and probably it's one of the biggest mistakes uh, people can, can make because it's a variety which is totally unique. So indigenous from Spain. Uh, it's a variety which has uh, natural acidity, uh, natural structure, and mm -hmm. which is super polyvalent. So you can do almost you know, any type of wine you, can, you could think. Yeah. And uh, so back then, my parents just thought, you know, my, my father said, well, there is like a structure, there is acidity. We could definitely try to make, you know, something. Uh, you can build on that. Worth it. Can, so, yeah. Exactly. Search simply for, the, for longevity, right? Try to yeah. explain this wine within a different, uh, different prisma. Yeah. So that's why the estate is also named San Diego? Exactly. That's, yeah, that's, that's the reason because, why. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Now we get it. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's the reason why our Sugunva is called La Bologna and our, we do as well a, a, a rosé from yeah. a single plot, which is called Clarissa. And uh, yeah. that's the reason why, you know, it's my... So my you, you know what question is going to come next? <laughs> okay, surprise me. <laughs> where's the, where, where's the yeah. genre? Or when so, are you allowed to get your own wine? No, probably I have to say that uh, first thing first. Uh, I, I really love my sister's name. Mine is yeah. probably not that uh, not that original. It's probably one of the most yeah. given name in France. I, I love my name, but uh, uh, it's probably not that original. And uh, and the thing is that uh, you know I decided, as I told you at the very beginning, to uh, to get involved in the in the winery, which is not the case with my sister. So you know I just managed to. Uh, to yeah, to to manage and work every day in the winery, so I don't I don't really need to uh, to have my my wine. You and me have a good report, so you know I can make a joke like this. Uh, I know that <laughs> yeah. you're not waiting for a wine with your name on it. Yeah, <laughs> maybe but a vineyard or a plot with your name on it. I, I actually I actually have there is a plot called Juan ah. uh, on, on the map, which is uh, if you have it uh, in France, uh, yeah. leaving the winery, you take uh, left, yeah. and it's probably 300 meters. It's a very small one. And this one is called Juan for a very, uh, actually funny anecdote, is that when I was probably, I don't know, 13 or 14, something like that, uh, my father asked me for my, my birthday. So uh, what, what do you want? Do you have any <laughs> presents in, in mind? And I, I think he was probably expecting something like, a, oh yeah, PlayStation, you know, something easy to find. Or, and I said, yeah, I want a plot, you know. I, and okay. Said, okay, let's, let's do that. And, and now it's- Let's just take one and give it your name. <laughs> Yeah, that's nice. I didn't know that. I mean, a lot of people don't know this probably. So we have good, uh, no. some good insight news here. So enough talking. Uh, I mean, we can talk hours about uh, the winery and the vineyards and, and, and uh, the grapes because it's a great grape. And I'm happy to talk about Verdejo in the end. I mean, we talked about Riesling before. Uh, I personally like Verdejo as well because I like Riesling and there is a lot of comparison between the two. So for me, it comes naturally to, well, to value both or grapes and wines. But let's talk a little bit about the wines. You have a collection of three wines at the moment. Maybe you exactly. run us through them quickly before we talk about the wine that we're going to taste. You okay, already mentioned. so that would be, as, as I just mentioned before, uh, we have yep. Clarissa, which is a single blot uh, wine, very sandy blot uh, with a nice inclination, nice orography, uh, facing southeast, and it's uh, planted in Echala, planted mostly with Tempranillo and some Syrah, uh, and we do this, uh, uh, what we call Rosé de Seigne, so it's, um, we only use the, the fruit and juice. Mm -hmm. uh, but we do look for a, a long maceration, you know, to extract color and some, um, let's say, some uh, um, some texture, some structure as well. It's not a uh, Provence, uh, Rosé, if you look at the color. It's all the opposite, because Provence, you know, it's, they look for this very, very light stone yeah. and very, very watery. That would be probably much more similar to what in Spain uh, people know, like... Uh, um, uh, 
Uh, now I, I lost I lost the word, but um, um, they, they have you know like this uh, very intense rosé um, that um, that people used to drink uh, back then in the villages, uh, and we do only five thousand bottles, uh, which yeah. is you know like a small project. Then we have Quinta Bologna, which is uh, uh, the the second wine, or let's say you know different interpretation of the philosophy. So in Napolonia, we search uh, for much more, let's say freshness. Um, we probably look for something much more varietal as well. Uh, it would be much more representative of Verdejo uh, in comparison with uh, probably Bilbao. Maybe I'm saying something wrong here, but correct me if I do. But if people like the more traditional Verdejo, that would be more uh, appealing to them. Or yeah. I wouldn't say that the other ones are not interesting, but in style. No, definitely. You know what? I, I will say that means in a different way is that... Uh, yeah. Probably Apollonia is a good doorstep to the to Belongat's philosophy, uh, which means that uh, uh, because I have to say that we're kind of pioneers uh, while conceiving Belongat, but we're pioneers as well by conceiving Apollonia because uh, nobody was actually doing this blend uh, with um, right now Apollonia is yeah. roughly 30 to 40 percent of wine which uh, was fermented in uh, in barrels of different, uh, you know, um, sizes, capacities, toast, uh, and 60 to 70% of wine fermented in a in tank. Um, yeah. So then we just keep the wine uh, on the lees uh, for a little while. So I would say that it's probably much more similar to the traditional style, as you mentioned, but I think we're not, we're not quite there. Uh, no, I, I know, but if you talk about 70-30%, that also indicates that this 30% is also huh. a key, making, key maker in the, in the whole wine. So uh, it's, not, it's not about uh, only about uh, focus on the steel uh, and the fermentation in steel tanks. It's, you, you do have you still have your own signature and your way of winemaking, which is very much the Bel Andrat way. Uh, huh, exactly. Yeah. So, and then yeah. we have the third one, because, uh, let me get it. Um, this one, the famous orange label. I think so we have the same one. Yeah, we have the same one. So we have the three labels, but this one is the orange label. And this is, uh, well, tell us a little bit about this one. So um, first of all, I think you, I really like the way you introduced it, right? The, the orange label, because very often, uh, you know, the, the last names uh, are, are French. Uh, Belongrad is my father's name, uh, my father's yeah. last name, and Lurton uh, is my mother's last name. And uh, the thing is that, so obviously we're looking at French uh, names uh, that are probably not, were not that common in, in Spain uh, back then. So a lot of people at the very beginning used to say, oh, I want the, the orange label. And uh, what is true is that back then as well, uh, picture, you know, the, the market in 1996, uh, a white wine with an orange label was, you know, something totally disruptive. Very strange. Uh, so, so, <laughs> Yeah, we had like a, a very, very interesting anecdotes as well of, you know, people asking for the wine in different ways. Um, so, but I think, you know, there is a direct link between uh, the, the decision, you know, why uh, we pick this color and, uh, and the type of the wine. If we were uh, being disruptive in the way we conceive the wine, which we needed to be disruptive as well in the way we introduced and presented the you wine present, to the yeah. consumer, right? Um, so, um, as I said as well before, um, uh, here, uh, we look for a, a much um, a different expression. We look for longevity. Uh, we look for much more depth and complexity. Um, so I think you, you actually asked the question before the, the interview. And, and here with Belongrand, uh, the soul of the project really was to make a, what we call in French, Vin de Garde. Um, so if people have the occasion, which is uh, probably, you know, happens very, very little, I would say that's uh, probably 90 
uh, 5% of uh, Belongard de Lorton is actually drunk within the year. So we yeah. need to uh, release the wine which is prepared to be and ready to be drunk. Uh, but the thing is that uh, we really, you know, conceive the wines in order to, uh, to just evolve and reach simply a different dimension within, you know, five, six years. And yeah. uh, that's, that's actually probably when you've shown uh, one of the first pictures. So we have the table uh, with the different glasses yeah. that's part of the, that. of the yeah. assemblage. Uh, in which we try just, you know, to make this uh, gigantic puzzle, uh, putting together uh, this one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we're trying to put together, picture 300 different barrels uh, with uh, different personalities, uh, different, you know, yeah. levels of uh, acidity, of, um, of just, you know, like uh, different structures, different toes on, on the nose, on the mouth. Um, and that's probably where, in my opinion, you know, where this becomes really challenging because we're not looking for a wine uh, which, you know, we say, oh, okay, this is good. We're going to bottle it and it's going to be, yep. you know, ready to be. Because we really need to project ourselves and jump, uh, you know, mentally in five, six, ten years. And say, so yeah, you're taking into account be... that, you, that the wine needs the five more years and you're trying to get to that momentum. And that takes time and that takes time even after it's bottled. Because, huh? yeah, okay, it's a nice wine. We talked about it before, you're right. It's a great wine to drink. But if people would buy it, and this is my suggestion to the audience, uh, first of all, you buy a box. If you, don't, if you cannot <laughs> get a box, because these <laughs> wines are very hard to come by. So I know it's difficult to buy them at some point, uh, even in Holland, but also in other countries. At least buy two bottles then. And mm. you can open one and drink it. And the other one, put it away for five years. And then you will see some more magic coming out of the bottle, huh? Definitely. And, and personally, I think that, uh, you know, if, if, you, if you ask me, uh, probably 20 years ago, people was not really ready for that. And, and you know, that's interesting anecdote as well. Um, so every year, we, uh, this year was the exception, logically, because of the, the whole situation. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we've spent five years taking the team uh, and traveling to a different wine region. So uh, went to Bordeaux, went to Champagne, uh, we went to Galicia, went to the Douro, uh, and uh, we went to Rioja. And Rioja, uh, we visited, among other wineries, uh, Lope de Heredia, so Tondonia, the world-famous Tondonia. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, so Maria Jose was saying, you know, the, the, the owner was uh, saying that uh, because their wines, uh, it's true that, you know, they're marvelous. And people are saying to this court that, well, you can drink like a delicious uh, Spanish white wine from the 70s or the 80s, right? Uh, and she said something very funny, which was that uh, probably five years ago, uh, any type of oxidation in a white wine, people just, you know, would take the bottle and put it down throw it the away. Sink and throw it away. Uh, and right now, people almost don't want to drink uh, anything that doesn't have at least three, four or five years, which is funny you know, to see how the market evolves. And I, I think uh, that uh, uh, it's interesting because we're just right there. As I said, you know, we... we be enabled to make wines, to conceive wines that yep. are ready to be to be consumed, to be drunk, to be enjoyed. Uh, but for the people uh, who has the capacity, and now there are more and more people open to that. Uh, if you wait um, five, ten years, uh, it's beautiful. You know, we've uh, had recently uh, 13, uh, 13, 14, 15, even a seven, uh, not that long ago, uh, and it's 
amazing. It's really good. Well, I, I, I think I told you even there was a sommelier, and maybe he's watching, or you will watch it later. And he accused me of uh, murdering a child when uh, I posted that we're going to taste the 2018. Well, we're going to go and do it ahead anyway. We're going to go ahead and do it. Um, so so we have already... just be sure that uh, yeah. we're tasting 18, and we have released 19 uh, in December. Okay. On the 15th of December. So uh, the thing is that I had uh, 19 home and I needed to come back to the, the winery today because I don't know why I was thinking of tasting 19 and then I realized, oh no, we're tasting 18. So uh, oh, it's, even, it's a little bit better. It's a year more. So I think that's yeah. good. Yeah. So uh, about this wine, because uh, this and compared to the orange label, it's become an iconic, I would say an iconic wine. So I was very happy to have you guys on the show because Thank the you. orange label is an iconic label and we Dutch people, we like orange, but we'll, we'll <laughs> yeah. talk more about that as well. But tell us about this great wine because it's, yeah. Um, so I think that uh, first of all, um, something super important as, as well for us uh, is that uh, when you look at this type of wine, uh, vintage has a, I mean, a, a weight which is, I won't say extreme, but uh, you know, we're trying to reflect in our wines uh, what happened in the vineyard. Um, so yeah. we have 18, for example, we're coming from, a, even if we're coming back, uh, uh, you know, further on, we had a vintage like 17, which was uh, very challenging because it was a very dry vintage. We had 18, which what we're tasting right now. Uh, probably much more balance. I would say probably the definition per se of, of balance. Uh, more expectation, more rainfall than expected. I would say something like 480 liters, something like that, which is mm -hmm. a little higher than what we're expected to, what we're used to. Um, and almost all the rainfalls or big part was concentrated in, uh, in uh, let's say, winter and, uh, and spring. So perfect for, you know, like a, a nice, nice budding. Yep. Um, we had a late, uh, late uh, sprouts, um, and which is then uh, less and less common, uh, late harvest. I'm saying late because the normal thing in the, in the area is to harvest on the third week of September. Yep. Uh, for 2018, we started on the 19th of September, uh, but we're just, you know, seeing that more and more. Uh, 2017, we started harvesting the 25th of August, which is like the earliest date uh, we ever had so you know when we talk about yep. climate change which is you know uh, some people are not still convinced about that um it's, uh, it's just crazy um so so yeah i was saying that vintage is definitely uh something important uh in, in what's your favorite world. vintage is a question that pops up it's a good one while we're talking about the vintages it's difficult Probably, to choose a child no it's it's definitely difficult but i think that's uh and it's not only for me uh the most uh you know, the, the vintage we usually appreciate or admire the most, usually are, are the most challenging to, uh, to do. So in, in yeah. our case, for example, I know that 2007 and 2013, which probably are the, the worst vintages in, in the area because we're talking about very Atlantic, uh, very rainy vintages. Yeah. Uh, very low this, yields. So, you know, like the evolution you get on these two, it's just amazing. Uh, then, for example, if you skip from 13, which has, still has, you know, right now this, super freshness, this acidity, this tension, you jump to 14, uh, which is the opposite. You have an evolution, which is already there. Uh, you have like this salinity, this concentration, uh, which probably you don't find in 13. So I think, you know, that's actually what I, I told yeah. you uh, on WhatsApp. If, you know, at some point, uh, probably I don't know next year, if you run out of, of topics, 
uh, it will be interesting to make like um, uh, a vertical and, and talk about these differences because I think that's, you know, it's, that's where the, the real difference uh, really lies, you know. I think we should do a poll and I will ask the audience if they like us to do a vertical. But if we do it, um, let's make a promise that I come to the winery and we do it at the winery. Because Definitely. that would be the best You're to see it at invited. the place where it's, where it's all happening. And somebody wants you to bring some back to DC. So I know you, uh, you've been <laughs> to the States a couple of times, but That's apparently you didn't, leave, you, you didn't yeah, leave enough so wine when you was there last time. Hopefully, hopefully I can, you know, start... I wouldn't say start traveling again. It's really nice as well, you know, to um, again experience this uh, this this moment, this situation in which uh, I think that you know our priorities radically changes. Uh, we start, yeah. you know, thinking much more about um, family, about you know our, our work. I have the the ability right now to be every single day at the winery, which is something that I didn't used to do. But coming back to what uh, Jordi just just said, uh, really, yeah, if I have the, the possibility to travel back to the the states uh, again it would be it would be great and uh, and yeah I definitely need to send a pallet before uh, getting there because I know that uh, <laughs> we'll probably have a, a very nice nice the evening. unicorn the unicorns in the US uh, the the sorry unicorns you said they are unicorns so they're really uh, rare <laughs> yeah. so usually unicorn in my opinion that's you know how I perceive it uh, the once again the vintage character makes it even more special usually when you see a unicorn it's just you know like a horse with a yeah. horn. But when it's a bottle, I think that the, the vintage as well, you know, takes a totally different perception. And I think that, uh, uh, you know, it's complicated because once again, it's like religion or politics. Yeah. Everybody have probably a different definition of, of unicorns. But yeah. I'm, uh, uh, you know, what, I, what I'm glad to, to hear is simply that, uh, you know, people enjoy uh, when, you know, pulling the cork of a bottle of Bilran and they, they get, you know, to celebrate special moments. Yeah. Uh, my father used to say, actually, that... Uh, you know, the best compliment you can you can get is that uh, you know that our wine is the signature of a moment, and uh, that's probably yeah, the, the nicest thing you can you can hear. At the end, when, when you when you say unicorn, it's you know this type of wine that you know you know about but you never have the opportunity to taste. So I, I'm glad you know I, I won't give any names logically, but um, I'm glad not to be neither in this category in which you know there are only ten bottles uh, reaching every yeah. country. And it's impossible to get. I think that, and I'm very proud of that, with the distribution uh, we have not only in Spain, but, uh, you know, worldwide. And uh, uh, much more, I think, if uh, they are looking uh, at us from the, the Netherlands, uh, we work with a fantastic uh, distributor in the uh, in Netherlands. And, and I think, you know, that's something that they manage to uh, uh, simply, you know, they, they get their allocation every single year and they manage to simply distribute it very wisely in order yeah. to have the wine present in the places where we need to be. But... Uh, uh, not to have any shortage neither. That, that's very complicated to get. Huh? Well, I, I've read interviews for some years ago already, and then with your father, that there was already somebody asking, why don't you make more Belandrade wines? Because the world <laughs> probably is asking for it. So why don't you just increase? But he has a very own philosophy about that, I think, as well. But I think it's, it's not only a matter of, of philosophy. I, I mean, you, you're definitely right that uh, probably you cannot make one million uh, bottles of, of Benoit Lyrton, but... Uh, it's a matter as well. You have the, the picture uh, right now. This picture we're looking at. Uh, you yep. have the seller at the at the back, um, and I mean right now the seller is um, is full. Uh, we can. But so many barrels, huh? Yeah. Uh, so we should. One thing is, I don't know, building a new seller, which I don't really, you know, think uh, would be suitable. Yeah. Uh, another thing is that then you have a person, you have people behind the wine, and it's not only about 
machines and have, yeah. you know, like a 2,000 barrels and saying, okay, this barrel have this uh, temperature right now or this acidity, the model lactic is going like this and like that. It's as well enough the capacity to keep a certain power and uh, decision, uh, uh, you know, on what's occurring in the yep. cellar. So it's almost impossible to keep the same quality, I would say, and the same personality in the wines, um, you know, by producing, I don't know, like 10 times I more. Totally, so I so. totally agree. Uh, by the way, uh, now still about this one, what are we tasting? Because, okay, we, are, we have the pleasure of tasting the wine and drinking it, but of course not everybody has it. So maybe tell us a little bit what the wine is about in terms of the taste and the flavor uh, what okay. we get. So taste, Nils, and I, I have to uh, break the ice saying that. I always say that uh, at the end, uh, take the tasting part is something very personal, which means that uh, uh, we all have like different uh, level of uh, uh, detection and tolerance I agree. Towards di different molecules and more the same with the with the palate. Uh, you know, like the traditional map of the tongue. Uh, it's something which is which was probably made up or simplified. But we, the reason why we don't have the same uh, taste and the same way to perceive things. But uh, uh, mostly, I think that um, here in Belongan, um probably what I I will um, put in front to to explain the profile of the wine. Um, so first of all, you know, like this uh, probably uh, varietal notes uh, like uh, fennel, for example. Fennel is very typical of Overdejo. I think, you know, you yep. have this, this presence. You have notes of, of hay, you know, like um, um, cut, cut grass, dried cut grass. Mm -hmm. um, you have, obviously, because we're uh, talking about a, a young wine, I have notes of uh, toasted bread, uh, which I think are totally integrated. That's what I'm very proud about. That's uh, at the end, you know, we're not saying, oh, uh, like the barrel is right there. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know, to come back to what we were saying before, I think that probably one of the best uh, compliments you can get as well in a wine tasting is, you know, saying, oh, you know, like uh, there is boil fermentation, boil aging behind the wine. Uh, surprising. So, which yeah. means that we have achieved... So people don't notice it, but it's, it's there to exactly, build the wine. It's not noticeable. Very often, I think, and I mean, we're coming very far away from, from that. When you look at the wine sector, uh, Spain as well. Um, I mean, 10, 15, 20 years ago, probably, I would say the wines were just, you know, like over um just uh, over rocky. And uh, in, if you ask someone who knows Belongrad uh, for a long time, I think uh, logically we have, you know, managed to polish the wine and to create wines that will be uh, more and more refined and elegant. But the yeah. very first vintages, I had the opportunity to open, for example, in 1999, not that long ago. And you see that simply the, the production, let's say the, the aging was different. The conception of the wine was different. We're using yeah. uh, smaller barrels. We're using um, uh, toasts, which were much more present. Um, so, so probably uh, it was different, but as any other project, you know, you're just calling, you take every single vintage, as you said, you have one shot and you try to improve what you've done yeah. uh, in, the, in the last one, right? Um, so on the nose, I think you have, you know, this uh, as well, notes of, um, uh, we say agrum, so citruses. Uh, but then uh, the more you wait, that's something I, I love. You know, when you talk about the evolution of Belongran, um, you get as well these um, uh, uh, peaches, you know, like peach uh, aromas. Um, but then with evolution, you get, um, I don't know how to explain that, like like jelly, right? When yeah. you're talking about jelly, that's something very English for me, uh, which is uh, the uh, bitter orange uh, marmalade. Right? Okay, this yes, type yes, of yes, notes yes. that you can find uh, in the wine when you really achieve after uh, six, seven, eight years 
and that, in my opinion, is you know that's uh, that's gourmand, right? That's something you want to just you know bite and uh, so a bite. I think that's the right, right word to connect to that. Um, okay, maybe we uh, we go to some questions. Uh, before we go into the questions, because um, there is one question which I want to uh, relate to as well. As you know, uh, I'm Dutch and we're about Holland. We're already happy that you have an orange label. But okay, um, we heard the rumor, or it's not a rumor, I think, but correct me if I'm wrong, that um, this wine actually was the favorite of Johan Cruyff. Is it true? First so, of all. To tell you the truth, I've heard this story like a long time ago, and uh, I, I would say that now I know it's it's true because. Uh, so um, I would say three years ago, I organized this uh, this New Year's Eve at one of my uh, friends' places in in Barcelona. So I took care of the wine selection, uh, the you know the whole menu, and uh, so so for the wine, logically, I uh, you know I decided not only for wine, for cheeses, for the salmon. I got in touch with uh, our distributor in Barcelona, who is Villa Vinitega, uh, which is, you know, probably one of the best uh, in Europe. They have an amazing, uh, amazing selection. And they didn't have any oysters, logically. It's a different sector, but I, yeah. I asked them, so do you have any recommendation to buy oysters in, in Barcelona? And they told me, you should go to this place, which is just, you know, probably a 10 minute drive from here. And uh, this guy, he probably have the best selection in, in Barcelona. So I took my car, drove there, and I start uh, speaking with the guy, very nice guy. And uh, so I introduce myself at some point. And I'm, so I'm, I'm jumping wild. And, and he starts, well, you know, you don't know who was your probably best customer and best ambassador. <laughs> and he told me that John Cruyff used to, when he was living in, in Barcelona, uh, that he yeah. used to, uh, to, uh, to go, uh, I don't know how many times a week, to, uh, to just eat oysters and drink a bottle of, of Benoit. So uh, I would say that probably a good combination. very close source. <laughs> Oysters and Bevendrat. Sorry? Oysters and Bevendrat. It's a good yeah. combination. Which is a good combination. Definitely, yeah. 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 So the question that I got in the, from the audience was, did you ever meet Johan Cruyff? But then the answer is no. But you know no. now that I, I he, will, he loved it. Because I really, you know, uh, put him between the, the best the best players. You know that uh, yeah. being French, it's complicated to uh, not to say that uh, for Zidane, it's one of the best players to yeah. ever uh, set a, a foot on the pitch. Uh, but I really think that's um, of the same, you know, uh, Maradona and Cruyff yeah. are definitely uh, in there. And then it's we're not nice getting story. in the debate of uh, Ronaldo. No, but it's a nice story. Messi. It's a nice oh. story. And um, having that said, your wine is on the wine list at some of the biggest or best restaurants in the world. It even was when it was uh, still uh, opening, uh, still open at uh, El Bulli. Am I pronouncing it correctly? That was actually one of the first, uh, one of the first customers. Uh, yeah. My father would probably tell different, I mean, the story in different way or with different words. But uh, uh, the thing is that El Bouilly was a real breakthrough, you know, uh, in all the terms. And I think that, uh, uh, you know, all the wine producers in Spain, they should just, you know, like put a, a statue uh, to Ferran Adrián, to Julie Soler, uh, who were just, you know, the two, the two managers and yeah. the two owners, let's say. Um, and uh, so, so it's true. At the very beginning, they were uh, always searching for these, you know, different projects, uh, and that's how Belongard probably got into the, the list uh, with the first vintage, uh, 1994. And the funny story is that uh, I think Televisión Española, uh, so the Spanish uh, public channel, did uh, this. Um, um, how do you say a documentary yep. on El Bulli, and they were shooting like this truck. Uh, deloading, you know, people um, taking out from the truck different stuff, and among this stuff uh, there was wine, 
<laughs> there was a, a orange box, orange, orange case, an orange box uh, with Ben Laden. And uh, some guys actually asked my father, uh, "So how did you do that? How how much money did you pay?" You know, like the probably Nothing. one of the, the best the best advertising you could do back then. And um, and that's yeah how we. Uh, but and but the that orange... was. The orange is what helps you stick out, and it helps you stick out all the time because it's, it's, it's people see it, they don't forget you it. You get in a restaurant, and it's just so easy to spot not only uh, a Belongard, because Belongard, I mean, orange, uh, definitely, you know, it's a very eye-catchy color, but uh, you look at Apollonia or Clarissa, and yeah. uh, the label is kind of similar. Um, they're very, very neat, uh, and, and the colors are so, so bright and, and yeah. so, so intense that as soon as you get into a restaurant, very often you say, okay, sure. Well, we that, that that's, we have a good client. that's why I'm sure that people, even the people that didn't taste it yet and have seen this now, they will recognize it next time they will buy it because they're obviously curious about uh, after this show, but then we'll see it. They will not miss it. I'm sure of that. So that's, uh, <laughs> I think it's a smart move. Whoever made the choice to go with the orange label and the blue, I mean, Definitely. that was a good choice. Good. Okay. Um, then uh other question is um how is the climate change worrying worrying you guys obviously it's a, a scene for every winemaker at the moment so is, is there any uh precautions or measurements that you're taking for this you already talked about different plots and always looking into different directions but that's not because exactly. of the climate particularly no uh generally speaking uh, uh when we talk about for example orientation it's i mean one of the first decisions you, you take when you're planting uh, so, so you take um, uh, obviously um, I don't know how to say that in in English the uh, the rootstock, yeah. Yeah. Um, logically, then you take the um, I don't have the correct words in in English, but uh, you choose logically the type of uh, of, of uh, variety you, you want to plant. You decide of the uh, the planting pattern. You decide obviously of the, the orientation, and depending on what you're searching for, on how the the plot is uh, positioned. Uh, probably you want something cooler or something hotter in order to get yep. what you consider right maturity. So the thing is that once you, you've taken this decision, it's obviously complicated to uh, to change it. Uh, but in terms of, um, I would say, for us, um, probably searching, first of all, coming back to uh, what were the, the basics in terms of, of planting patterns, and we're talking about that, uh, we're going back to what we call Marco Real, uh, which is uh, one one uh, vine uh, per three meters, three meters mm -hmm. of difference on the wide and on the length, right? And that's what people used to do uh, a few, uh, I mean, uh, tens of years ago. Um, so we're coming back to that because we see that simply the, the soils and the climate does not match what people were doing, following much more like the Bordeaux trend of searching, yep. you know, densities of, uh, I don't know, like nine or 10,000 vines per, per hectare, which is crazy. Um, so we're going back to that because we see that uh, at the end, the vines can manage to uh, get their roots uh, uh, just, you know, uh, deeper and deeper. Yeah. Uh, but we're as well trying to make um, a huge work on uh, what we call the, the, uh, the foliar, well, I don't know if it's the correct word in English neither, but the, the foliar cover. So yeah. uh, the, the leaves, uh, we just, you know, try to protect, to, uh, to protect, to protect exactly, the... exactly to protect the, um, how do you say, the, the, the bunches. Um, as well, you know, making a proper work in uh, terms of uh, green harvest to probably take out some uh, extra, uh, some extra bunches, and uh, as well, you know, try to find good maturity. But that's that's one of the let's say biggest challenges we have. So yep. we're trying to use the the let's say the tools we have in hand, uh, but 
right now it's right, it's uh, very very complex probably yeah. uh, but, but playing with uh, as i said you know the the, the yields playing with yields uh, playing with uh, different weights probably to to irrigate to irrigate because at some point i probably become necessary um and uh, and as i said you know all these different probably tools that you have uh, but right now as someone already said the only other solution we have is to go to uh, to norway and plant yeah. some uh, some pinot or some chardonnay and Probably in, yeah, uh, in you see, uh, the champagne houses are the champagne houses are buying plots in England as well. So exactly, why exactly. shouldn't? Uh, yeah, we all have to <laughs> go up north a little bit. So who we see on the picture here? Can you tell me? Because so these it's, two dogs, it's my father. Uh, we your were father. Pruning, uh, we're pruning olive trees because we're making this uh, olive oil, yeah. uh, the estates as well. Uh, and so we're pruning olive trees last year, and uh, two two dogs, uh, the the one on the left. Uh, it's uh, a female and the one on the right is a male. But back then they were probably like uh, five, six months years old. So they were still still puppies and they're following my father. Ah, okay. What are the names? Uh, the, uh, the female is Veda. Veda because yeah. they were born in uh, the area where, I don't know if you know Pimenton, which, uh, no. how do you call that in, in English? Uh, Pimenton is uh, paprika, yeah? Yeah. Africa is, is very common in Spain, and uh, the place where the, the actually the, the plant is, is planted, the, the pimiento, it comes from a, a, an area in the Extremadura uh, region, which is called uh, Veda. So you have mm -hmm. different uh, villages called uh, uh, Villanueva de Veda, I think, or something like that. And we actually uh, went uh, to get these dogs uh, right there, and uh, the male name is uh, Festin. And I actually picked this name because I remember watching this uh, documentary on uh, about Paul Bocuse a few years ago, and one yeah. of his dogs was named Festina. I was like, "Well, this is probably the best name uh, for a dog." So I, I knew that you know Very it was good. going to be named like that. Yeah. Very good. Okay, um, we got a question in Spanish, and now it comes because obviously um, I don't, I can't see if she's still watching, but. Uh, um, we, we, we will get back to that. The question is, and uh, let me uh, find it. Um, <sighs> que, que significa belondrada para ti? So okay. I know what it is in English and in Dutch. My pronunciation is not, I mean, I only lived in Spain for six months. I tell you a story now. Huh? I lived in Spain for six months, but I lived in Yoretumar. So you don't learn real Spanish there. <laughs> so this is what my experience is. But the question is pretty obvious. What is typical for Belondrad? Can you, no, uh, can you tell what us? does Belondrad means to you in that case? Aha, even better. Good. Yeah. What does uh, it mean for you? I think it's a, so it's a tricky question because, um, I mean, logically... Ah, she's I watching, talk. I see her. She's but clapping no, her hands now. So there is something to related to, to the family there. I mean, to, to give you a clear answer, I think that Belongrad for me, it's, um, it's a legacy. Uh, probably it's a challenge as well, because it means that uh, I probably, and I don't know if uh, you had the opportunity to probably talk about that, I think, in your last interview. Um, probably, you know, when you're talking, uh, there are some dynasties um, that has been, you know, making wine for centuries. Um, in our case, uh, it's a pretty recent project. Uh, we're only 26 years old. And uh, my father was kind of a breakthrough as well when he arrived to Valladolid because it was like this crazy French guy uh, yeah. putting Verdejo in barrels. So people was, you know, looking at him in a very weird way. So it's true that you can, you know, I, I get asked the question very often. So, you know, like, uh, are you not afraid to always be your father's son? And, uh, yeah. you know, I think... Uh, it's uh, it's something very uh, very normal to to question and much more in our sector, 
uh, in which you know family is so important and tradition and everything. But um, I think that you know I I'm not person you know I I don't want to be a, a copy of my father, which is nice. I think he's a an amazing guy. I really admire him in all the ways possible, and I I love him. Uh, but I think that um, simply uh, you know I, I I'm bringing and I'll probably keep on bringing a different approach to a. To Belongram, and that's the beauty of a, of a dynasty, of a legacy. Yeah. That probably, if at some point I can, you know, share that with uh, with my my kids, uh, probably they they have the opportunity to uh, to bring something different, and that's how you. And also, legacy, what you learn in other countries, what you talked about, these experiences, they also add to it, and everything that brings what builds you then gets translated into the winery as well oh. over time. No, definitely, and, and I don't know, you know, coming back to, to what you said before, you have like uh, wineries, for example, you look at uh, Clos Centume um, in, in Alsace, I think it's mm -hmm. been in the, in the family for uh, 400 years uh, already, so, you know, how can you not, you know, fall in love with something like that, yeah. that you, know, you, you carry on, it's, uh, so I would say it's uh, in some part a responsibility, but it's, um, it's, uh, it's, I, I cannot find a word to express how lucky. I, I it's a blessing as well in that case. Huh. Yeah. So, Inma, Inma, ah, gracias por. Uh, okay, yeah, I will stop here. Uh, I don't want to embarrass myself too much, but thank you <laughs> for the answer, Rachel. So, uh, about uh, the question from our guest from last week, uh, we talked about it. So, um, obviously, you said about 25 years the winery is now uh, uh, since it since it started. Pretty young if you compare it to last week's guest that was like four centuries. So different story, but also family family company. Um, the question was: Did your father change his philosophy with what he started and how it became now? So what in the during those years did he have to change his philosophy in the winemaking, in the customers he wanted to attract, or anything like that? And what would be the change? that you the big changes that you've seen um well um so complex question very deep as mm -hmm. well and just take one on of, one part of, philosophy of, of <laughs> no and there is philosophy there is family there is um so i would say it's the perfect question um so so i i think that probably what really makes uh Belumrat a, a success success it's obviously very subjective and you know anybody can have a different uh, point of view but i consider at, at least at least you sell out every year right i mean and that's that's definitely another way to uh, that's to a success it, another factor but uh, uh, i think that uh, success is um, when you take a, a decision you see things very clearly and you just you know stay put and even if you're going you know upstream and you need yeah. to swim very hard which is actually what my my father the first vintage uh, we produced 10,000 bottles of Belongram. All, almost all of them sold uh, between the, the States, uh, Japan, and some to the UK. But in Spain, it was nobody was drinking, uh, first of all, white wine. It was still uh, mostly, and it's still, uh, as of today, a red drinking country. Uh, but not only that, uh, people was not uh, spending much more than, you know, just a few euros, a few pesetas back then in a bottle. You know, another factor is that the first vintage of Belongram the regular price, the market price for a bottle of Berdejo was uh, 100 pesetas. Yep. And the first vintage release of Belongrad was 1,000 pesetas. So 10 times the, difference uh, the, is huge. the market price. So, I mean, you really need to be able to, you know, hang on and say, so this is, this is going to work. And we just need, you know, to keep on going. And another thing that probably made the difference that we're probably the first uh, white winery in Spain to commercialize uh, yeah, white wine uh, through a system of allocations. 
But I think that probably, I know if Torres or Chivite has done something similar, but uh, uh, they had, you know, other wines uh, as a backer. Both Torres and Chivite were producing uh, red wines, uh, but 100% uh, white winery and, you know, sticking to that and saying, so that's the way we're going to work. And that's going to be like that for all the yeah. clients. Uh, it takes courage, but it also, it, it takes, you have to suffer as well because it doesn't always bring you straight totally. away what you successfully to uh, the to be sincere, I think that uh, if you ask my father, probably Belongrad started to be really, I would say, a success financially speaking, probably in 2007, 2008, yeah. something like that. Because uh, uh, believe me, I mean, with the, that's something people don't really realize, but with the, the cost you have, you know, working all the viticulture, uh, working organic, uh, you know, everything, all the pruning, as I said before, uh, we try to do it, you know, internally, we harvest everything manually. Uh, I don't know, like spontaneous fermentations, all these type of stuff, there is a cost, uh, which at the end, you know, uh, makes us able to reach our, our goal. And so yep. making something, you know, reaching excellence is not cheap. <laughs> so that's, yep. you know, and, and you need to stick to that to, uh, to, to, reach, to reach excellence. So maybe the answer to the question to conclude on that is that there was not much change because he didn't want to change too much uh, in yeah. his philosophy. He, he, stuck, he stuck with his philosophy very much. And then uh, because of that, he had some headwinds, but in the end, it became a success. And because maybe his perseverance to stick to his philosophy as well. Yeah, no, totally. It's, it's my father, if you want to use like uh, one adjective to define him, I think that perseverance is definitely uh, one of the top, top three. That's a good one. That's a good one. Good one to have. So I see one more question popping up, and then we go to the question for our next guest because we're running already 15 minutes behind, and I don't know. Maybe they're gonna cut us off at some point with Instagram. I don't know how that works. It used to be one hour uh, limitation, so we're already in the extra time here. Yeah, Yeah, we're in the extra time overtime. Um, So the question here on screen is: Could you talk to us? There's a risk that we're gonna spend a lot of time on this. Could you talk uh, about something about your red wine projects as far as they're taking place? Well, I, other I, I projects. I can make it very quick if you want. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can make it very quick. Uh, we had a, a project. We had a project. We started in the Arribes area, which is close to Portugal, actually, on the border with Portugal, uh, working with uh, native varieties, uh, Brunial, Rufete, mostly, uh, which is still you know, on a very small scale. It's uh, single plots. Um, so we've been working on that project for probably six, seven years, but uh, it's, it's a very, very complicated uh, area. We had um, a hail, we had um, as well a fire. So it's, uh, it's definitely, you know, uh, when you say uh, there is something behind that tells me not to do it. So it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of a challenge. And then we're just releasing right now uh, our latest project, which is something we're really running on a different side of, of Belongran. Uh, which is um, uh, red wine in the Priorats uh, yeah. uh, see, Priorat region. Um, so probably, you know, mostly Garnache and Garinina from a single plot facing north, like an amphitheater with uh, terraces and uh, just an amazing tour. You know, Priorat, I always say that yep. it's uh, probably a region. You have, you know, something magic. There is like an ambience. You need to be there to, to feel it. But it's something, you know, just unique. So um, and, and maybe also we talked about this. I have to mention it. So people buy at least two bottles. This is the message. So you stick one away for five years. If you mm-hmm. can buy a box, you buy a box. Uh, serving the wines, don't drink them too cold because 13 degrees you're recommending and decanting. So give it some air. Exactly. Otherwise, you're missing the wine out. 30 to 40 minutes before. Uh, but uh, once again, not too cold because at the end, yeah. you, 
you kill the good stuff and you keep the bad stuff. The bad stuff, it's okay. And I, I hope there are not much in it, but you kill the good stuff as well. But well, you will never know what you missed. I mean, there's so much more and then, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. what you're missing out on um last question for me for you is then for our next guest um we will talk about wine puzzles and um well I, i've already told you that the next week we're gonna have a, a a nice talk about that um what would be your question regarding the puzzles because yeah it's a okay. very different topic than winemaking, but they're very detailed. I can tell the audience, uh, they're very detailed on certain wine regions like France, Spain, and Italy, and they're really good puzzles, but we'll talk more about that later. But what would you do? What would you ask in a question about the puzzles? So I think, you know, I, I actually thought about the question when you, when you, you mentioned the possibility of, you know, leaving a question. Uh, and uh, after the, the confinement, uh, the, the quarantine, I think that uh, almost all of us, we managed to do at least one puzzle. Maybe not to finish it, but we all started one. Um, and I actually enjoyed the activity. The thing is that uh, I don't enjoy sharing the puzzle. I'm kind of, uh, you know, uh, I would say not competitive, but, uh, you know, this type yeah. of stuff, I, I get nervous uh, sharing. So I wanted to ask her uh, who within the wine sector, maybe a, a producer, a sommelier, uh, a critic, uh, who would she share a puzzle, a, let's say 2000 piece puzzle, which is already, you know, like intense. It takes some uh, time, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, assuming that she wants to share, because if she's like you, she doesn't want to share anyway. <laughs> <laughs> if, if she doesn't like to share, then <laughs> don't that, that the I, I would is say that then we can do, we can do both of us a puzzle, the same puzzle, but uh, separately, and uh, we do okay. a, uh, I don't know, like a contest to see who finishes it first. That's a good one. That's a good <laughs> one. So, um, thank you uh, for the nice talk, uh, Jean. Thank it was really a pleasure. And I hope to uh, pick up uh, on what we left because there's much more to talk uh, yeah. in, in, in time. Um, uh, for the audience, uh, we're also setting up season two already. So, uh, next week is the last episode, unfortunately, for Solo Talks. And But then after that, in February, already we will be back. I have six already six guests, with which we will uh, um, announce over the weekend. So there's some great winemakers, uh, not from Spain. Maybe you can uh, give me a tip from somebody in Spain as well. But um, from France, uh, so uh, one you will like from the Rhone. Uh, so that would be very interesting for you. And you can guess later, maybe you'll, you know who we're talking about. And uh, Germany as well and South Africa. So we're going in very different directions here. But this was very nice. Rueda and Vedejo and Belandrada are very close to my heart. So I'm happy that thank you, you could, uh, spend the time. Um, thank you very much. Maybe you want to thank the audience or you have a final remark before we close down. No, I mean, the lights here. I'm probably going to uh, thank you first for uh, for having me. I think it's you know always a pleasure to... Uh, talk about, you know, Belongrad and, uh, and the, the family and the project. Uh, so I think that you have a very, very interesting format uh, with the, the Cellar Talks with different interviews that I really uh, strongly recommend for everyone watching. Um, so, yeah, uh, thanking the, uh, all the people that have, you know, managed to spend a few minutes of their uh, Friday evening with, uh, with us. So congratulations. And Niels, you already know it. We're waiting for you at the winery. So whenever yeah. everything settles down, uh, catch your plane or you, car you or already plane. sold me with the vertical <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be waiting for you with the vertical very good okay. thank you Jean. have a nice day thank and you. my regards to the weekend to the family and uh good luck with all the projects and everything thank you so there. much take care okay talk bye to bye. you later bye bye thank you for listening to this podcast 
Be sure to visit us on Instagram at Dutch underscore wine underscore apprentice and check out our website www.dutchwineapprentice.com for the latest news and content. You can also subscribe to our newsletter through the contact section of our website.